Today on the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad podcast, episode number 127. It's all about python hunting in the Florida Everglades. It's a race against time to save the wildlife. The python population exploded in the recent years, and they're now encroaching on habitats other endangered species and species. Hunting these ant snakes is not only to control their population, but it's helped the other animals. This is where my guest comes in today, Amy Skewey, the python huntress. She has her journey from being a real estate agent and now hunting pythons in Florida. We found out more next on the podcast. Let's do this. Welcome to the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad podcast, a podcast about a journey of discovery and conversations about not sitting on the sideline of life. Let's get involved. Here's host Joe Foley. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Hey, my name is Joe Foley. Hey, I want to thank you for being here. I really, really appreciate you. And this is your first time. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. I know the dad and the parent, we're kind of busy and, and life is crazy, especially nowadays. We're just crazy. So it means really a lot that you're here. Today's kind of an interesting episode. I'm going to talk to Amy Siwi. She's the Python Huntress. And this episode is a little more than just hunting snakes. There's more important things to this. But the point that the snakes are an invasive species, they overtaken the Florida Everglades, and they're not natural in Florida. So it's kind of an interesting topic to talk about because they're going after the other animals and stuff like that. Kind of makes me think about when people uh, put their um, goldfish in the big ponds and stuff like that because they're not really supposed to be in the lakes, and they end up eating the other animals and stuff like that. It's a really important topic to talk about, but there's a meaning behind that. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the podcast, Amy. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. All right. I, I, I know we just talked about the second, but I have to ask, and it was a headline. I know we just mentioned it. Homecoming queen, real estate agent, now Python Huntress. <laughs> how did this, how does this happen? <laughs> yeah. You know, it doesn't really seem like a natural progression, I guess. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, in high school, it was what it was. Homecoming queen. And then I went to college, got my degree, became a real estate agent for the last 13 years. And then I saw this opportunity down here in the, in Florida to help with getting rid of these invasive pythons that are destroying the Florida ecosystem. So that's what I did. Well, it's interesting too. I mean, I, I how did these become so invasive uh, species down there? Because are they native down there? They are not, they're invasive. So they are not supposed to be here. They are here because of the pet industry, the pet trade industry that started, you know, way back in the 70s. But the reason that we have, they have such a foothold here is because in 1992, Hurricane Andrew came through and it destroyed a breeding facility. And it sent hundreds of pythons into the Everglades in kind of like one specific area. So that kind of became the epicenter. And they just, it now there's between 100,000 and 300,000 out there. So it's a huge problem. Do they breed pretty quick though? They do. The average female will lay between 20 and 40 eggs a year. And the big ones that get, you know, like 16, 17, 18 feet can lay over a hundred. Oh, wow. So they populate pretty quick. So there's nothing except hunters right now that are, that are hunting them and they have a voracious appetite. So 98% of the mammals are gone from parts of the Everglades because of these pythons. So it's a very, very big problem. 
even I mean Florida. I know they. I always hear the stories about alligators and stuff like that. Even alligators are not their predator. Like they. No, not really. I mean, so it depends on size, but pythons will eat alligators. Alligators will eat pythons, but it's not the main, you know, food item on either one of their menus. I mean, have you seen anything that they attack each other at that when you're doing the hunting and stuff like that? Not, not personally, but my friends have. My friends, one of my friends saved an, a small alligator from a python. And, you know, there was, of course, that very famous, it was a few years ago, story on how the alligator busted out of the python's gut or something like that. So, you know, I don't know. It, it, I haven't experienced it, but it does happen. Well, it's interesting too. You're like out of, I'm, I'm looking this up. There's a hundred professional Florida Python hunters. You only, you're like 15 out of the only 15 women of yep. you doing this. I'm going to back up a little bit and yeah. tell you about how I really got into this because, you know, when I was little, my dad actually took me to a creek and he taught me how to catch fish and crawdads and frogs and snakes. And I, I just had some fascination with snakes ever since then. So snakes have always been a part of my world. I was a breeder in the exotic vet, exotic pet industries. You know, I did all kinds of things, but it was always more of a hobby for me. And, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, why is it snakes? Why can't it be like <laughs> puppies or kittens or something, you know, normal or girly or something? I don't know. But anyway, so it's, so it's snakes. So when I learned about the problem in Florida, you know, I've, like I said, I was a real estate broker for the last 13 years and I learned about this problem. And so I came down on vacation to kind of see what was going on. And I went on a hunt and I caught a python oh, and wow. <laughs> I, I was hooked. I was like, this is it. This is what I was meant to do because, you know, finally I can use my, this obsessive passion that I have for snakes and reptiles and as more than a hobby. And I can actually make a difference in the world. I can help Florida with this colossal problem because I'm not afraid of the pythons. I, I know a lot about them. So I could, I could be a help. So that's kind of, you know, the backstory of, of why I'm doing this. Well, it was one thing interesting to you said before you were worked in the, like, taking care of them and stuff like that? Yeah. So I was in the exotic vet industry. I was in the pet industry. I was a breeder, not of pythons. Oddly enough, I, I, I would breed corn snakes and rat snakes that are small snakes. They're colorful. They're really good pets. And I would promote those because I didn't believe that people should have pythons that got to be 20 feet long. And 20 years later, here we are because people let them go. Or, I mean, that really isn't the main cause of this, but still it is because of the pet industry that we're here right now. Well, it's interesting too. I knew somebody who had one. She had one for a while, and I got to play with it and stuff too. And I was like, "Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to touch it because it's a snake and a curl." But it was very friendly. Are these like really mean type animals, or are they just snakes? Well, I. <laughs> this is going to sound weird. Snakes definitely have. They all have like different little personalities. Some of them are really aggressive, and some of them aren't. The reason that the Burmese pythons were so popular is because they have a generally docile demeanor. And even if they're kind of nippy as, as, you know, a hatchling, they outgrow it really fast and they get used to people very quickly. So yeah, they're, for the most part, they're very friendly. Well, it's interesting too. Are they, have there any been attacks on humans down there? There have not been any attacks on humans in the wild. So when we're out catching these pythons, people aren't on the menu. So they don't look at us as food. They don't even realize that we're a predator, that we're trying to catch them until we're, we've got a hold of them. So the, the, the attacks that, that you hear about 
from pythons are from pet owners. And when you have a pet snake, you are supposed to take it out of the cage and put it in a feeding container so it doesn't associate opening the cage with food, right? But most people don't do that. So they just, the only time they really open the cage is when they're dangling a you know, rat or mouse or rabbit or whatever they're feeding it. And so as soon as that you know, click happens or whatever it is, that feeding response kicks in for that python because it's captive bred and it's been in captivity its whole life. So it knows it's going to eat. So whatever moves first, it's going to go after and it's going to think it's food and wrap and, and wrap it like it's going to kill it. So whether that is the rat or your hand or your arm or your face, whatever it is, the python's going to going to grab it and wrap. So that's when you have these, you know, Python attacks or whatever, but not, not in the wild. It's interesting too. I was thinking about uh, what is a typical t night? Like when you go during the day, go night, when do you typically hunt? In the summer, the pythons are nocturnal. So, so I'm on, on night shift in the summer. <laughs> so yeah, I, if I don't get enough sleep, I'm, I'm, I'm grouchy. So it's kind of a, it's an adjustment that's for sure. But so I go out at about sunset and I've, I've got, you know, my truck, I've got my lights that I put on the truck. Sometimes I go out by myself. Sometimes I go out with another hunter or an assistant and we just, you know, somebody's driving some, you know, one or two in the back of the truck, just driving up and down the levees and roads very slowly, like five miles an hour. And we are waiting for, you know, for the pythons to cross, to see them, you know, parallel to the, to the roads, to see them sometimes in the water. But yeah, so we are just, we're waiting to see them, basically. What is it like jumping in the water, especially down there in Florida and stuff too? I mean, you get the alligators, you get the pythons, and you got other like snakes and, and, and insects. Like I'm assuming, I've been in Florida one time and I know everything seems to be bigger down in Florida. <laughs> so I'm assuming the spiders are pretty big too. Yeah, and I don't do spiders. <laughs> I don't do spiders at all or bugs. I mean, that was my one kind of concern with moving here and doing this was the bugs. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I run into a gigantic spider, I'm probably going to have a heart attack. But <laughs> um, but it turns out, and they are big and they're ugly, but they they don't really bother you. Now, I did have one when I was hunting. It ended up in my in my truck, went across my face, basically in front of my face, from my rearview mirror to the top of my window, and I. I got out of the truck and I was like, okay, I have to sell the truck now. Like, <laughs> I'm done. We're over. But anyway, so yeah, there are, back to your question, there are a lot of things in Florida. There are the gators. We've got panthers. We've got bears. We do have venomous snakes. It's, it, nothing is, everything kind of takes off when you, when you approach. So, so that, you know, I've seen a handful of bears. I've seen a couple of panthers. Panther sightings are very rare. And you know, you just move a little bit and alligator, alligators will take off. So I don't really feel like I'm in danger and we're not going out into the water. It's just, you know, by the sides of the levees, if they're, if they're just sitting in the water that will grab them. I will say it is, the water catches are the most difficult and probably I would say the scariest for a different reason though. When they're in the water, you have to be quick because they will take off and then they're gone because they're mm -hmm. very agile in the water, obviously. Um, and the few water catches that I've had, it's been somebody grabbing the, and like the tail because we just grab as, you know, whatever we can get just <laughs> to keep it from going in, you know. And so they've, they're holding on for dear life. And then I have to get in the water and I am, and you know, it's maybe six inches deep, say six or six to 12 inches deep. 
but then it gets all murky, you know, when you're moving around in it. So I can't see, plus it's dark. I mean, I've got a headlamp on, but it's pretty dark. So I'm feeling up the snake, like trying, I just heard that, but, you know, moving my hands up the snake to find its, its head so I can grab it, but I have no idea where it is. And that, that head could be right by my face. And my face is right by the water as I'm like leaning in to try to find this thing. So if that thing comes up and, and nails me, I mean, they have a mouthful of razor sharp teeth. And that is not something, I mean, I would lose an eyeball if, yeah. if a tooth got in my eye. So that is the only scary part that when you don't know where the head is in the water, you know, it can bite me anywhere else, just not on my face. Have you had any bitten? Oh yes. Oh, so many times. Oh yes. They, so the thing about the, the bites and on my website and everything, I've got, you know, a skull, the skull from the 17 footer. And these, these teeth are just, they're hooked backwards. And when they bite you, it's not like a, it's not like a, a dog. I mean, it's, it's raised, they're razor sharp and it's like a warm knife going into butter almost. And you see it like get happen and you're like, oh, this is going to suck. <laughs> and then it happens. And then, and then it's like this delayed sting and you're like, oh yeah, that, that kind of hurt. And then it bleeds everywhere. I mean, everywhere. So yeah, I've been bitten on the hand. I had a 14 footer. They, they have actually two, two rows of teeth on their upper jaw. So I had her imprint on my hand for a while. I was bitten in the ass once. <laughs> Yeah. And a girl was like, she came up to me later because she didn't see the whole thing happen. And she said, excuse me, you have blood on your pants. And, you know, as a woman, you never right. want to hear anybody say that. But little did I know because I was just bitten in the ass because of a python, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they do hurt. I do not recommend getting bitten, but, you know, it just comes with the territory. Are they regulated like in the state of Florida? Like uh, up here, we have deer, we have turkeys. Is it regulated like that down in Florida? It's not because they are not supposed to be here. We need, we are trying to get rid of all of them. It will never happen, but we need to get rid of all of them because they are from Southeast Asia. They are not supposed to be here and we have to do whatever we can to get rid of them. Well, it's funny you think about it, the, the amount that's to be here kind of in, I remember a while back, a few years ago, and then there was, I think it was in New Jersey, there was a fish that can walk from one pond to the next pond out of the water. I don't know where it was from, but it's really, really not supposed to be here. And you find that often too, also with like people like, oh, I feel bad for this goldfish. You put it into the pond and the thing's like enormous and everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, there are in every single state, there are invasive species, invasive plants, invasive, you know, there's like the zebra mussels, I believe in the North, we've got the ash borer beetles in the Midwest, mm -hmm. you know, we've got all the snakehead fish. Those are doing a lot of damage. Asian yes, that's, that's a snake. That's what I was thinking. I think they, they okay. can walk. The snake, I'm not quite sure, but I think that's the name of it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I, but you know, so it's just that this is a huge problem, like all across, you know, the United States and the world with invasive species. It's just, it doesn't always necessarily change the ecosystem like it is going to do here. And the thing is, it's kind of early in the game in comparison. And so, and I'm sure that you've heard about the Yellowstone wolves, how once they were reintroduced to Yellowstone, then it, literally changed even the way that the rivers flowed just because of the deer not eating the vegetation and you know all kinds of stuff so it has this trickle effect and so that's what we're going to see with these pythons since they're eating all of these these animals and i'm talking you know marsh rabbits raccoons possums squirrels bobcats deer oh wow eating all of it so we're going to start to see 
you know, the repercussions of this probably very, very soon, besides just the animals disappearing. How do you work with the state, though? You are, you want, if I want to become a hunter, how, how would you work with the state? So there are, you would have to probably apply online, I think. So there are a hundred hunters and that's, they're going to kind of keep it at that because, and, you know, just kind of switch people out as they quit or get fired or whatever. But you would have to go on like the c.gov, I think it is, or South Florida Water Management District to, to become a python hunter. Well, it's interesting too. I, I know Tampa Bay, I was reading something on too about is the 2020 Florida Python Challenge. Have you ever been in a Python Challenge before? Yes, sir, I have. I won second place a couple of years ago for the heaviest Python, I think it was. <laughs> how, 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 what kind of turnout was for that? Actually, this Python Challenge is getting ready to happen August 5th through the 14th. And anyone can sign up. It's open to the public. It's 25 bucks, I think. And I think last year there were 500 people that signed up for it and 200 and some snakes that were caught. So, you know, not everybody catches a snake if they come down here, which is mm -hmm. actually the weird thing. So I thought when I moved down here, I thought, Hey, I'm going to just be walking through the swamp and pulling these things out left and right. And it's going to be amazing. And I'm telling you, these things are so hard to find. They, this habitat is so absolutely perfect for them because it's, it's more than three and a half million acres of, you know, mostly it's inaccessible to humans. So that's why we have to kind of wait for them to come to us when they're on the move, because if they're hiding, forget about it. You're never going to see them. So that's what makes this so difficult. So when people come in from out of town, they kind of think what I thought, like, hey, yeah, we're going <laughs> to jump in the swamp and like get all these cool snakes. And I'm telling you, it is very, very difficult. Many a night, we do not catch anything. What kind of tools you have do you use when you're on the hunt? my hands and flashlights. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so all of these are live captures. So we don't, we don't, as the hunters, we don't euthanize in the field. Now, if the members of the public, the general public, they cannot transport live. So they have to kill the snake as soon as they, they, they catch it. But for me, so we catch them. It's all live captures. It's just easier that way for me anyways. And then euthanize them when I get, you know, back to my, to my condo. And, and I do that for a couple of reasons and people just, you know, they, they don't really understand that, Hey, you know, so in order to humanely euthanize a snake, you have to get it right in the brain and it has to be, and their brain is very small and it has to be exact because if you miss, they'll survive and, or, and they'll be in a lot of pain, which, you know, mm -hmm. we don't want that. So when you have a snake, that's really pissed and moving around and everything, it's very, very difficult to dispatch that safely for you and humanely for the, for the Python. So that's why, you know, we just do it when it's in more of a controlled environment. And then also I skin, I mean, you can tell by my background here, you know, I've got <laughs> some skins hanging, but I have to, by trial and error, trust me, I never thought in 10 million years I would be skinning snakes, but you know, they have to be fresh. So I have to coordinate the euthanizing them with the check-in for the state so I can get paid with the skinning. Interesting too. I was just thinking about the, um, have you got any pushback from the public from doing this? Yes. Until they understand that, you know, we're, this is for the greater good. I love snakes and I hate that we have to kill them. I hate it. 
but we, we do. And to put this in perspective, it takes a python three years to reach 10 feet and it takes 200 mammals and birds to get it there. And these things live for 25 years. So oh, wow. yeah, so it's a lot of our native animals that are suffering because of this. So it's like, okay, what is it? Is it are the natives that are supposed to be here or is it the pythons, you know? You just have Maybe. to look at it that way. I was wondering if there's any backlash or anything from like, you know, some people who don't understand, they protest and stuff like that. We haven't had a lot. I mean, it's, I think the main thing is that like once, if people first think like, if they find me online or something and, and it says, you know, Python huntress and I hunt pythons, they're kind of like, oh, so you're like a deer hunter, you know, just going out to, to hunt for, you know, whatever. And no, it's not like that at all. You know, we have to do this. We have to get rid of them. So I think the, the biggest pushback would be the, I guess, the way of, of killing the pythons. And we do everything that is in accordance with the American Veterinary, Veterinary Association to humanely euthanize. So we're, uh, the state is very, very strict about that for good reason. Well, I was curious. Another thing too is, is anybody who, we, if you, you have it for just for emergency purposes only, a firearm or sidearm or a rifle or something? Yeah, I mean, I always carry. Yeah. Uh, not everybody does, but and but and there are certain areas that you can't discharge your firearm. But I've never had to, so I guess. Always, I mean, it's I mean, you're dealing with an animal that's like could be 20 feet long. It could strangle you, and and you need something. I would assume, assume you need something. In the case of emergency, to you, if you have to dispatch them, you have to dispatch them there. Yeah, I mean, and and we, I think a couple of my friends have before I never have you know you were asking about equipment I caught a 17 footer it was 17 310 pounds I caught that one by myself and I did that with a head bag so I guess I do take some some equipment but you know it's it's like this little six by six drawstring bag that I you know from working in the vet industry and the pet industry you know we used to calm an animal down by putting a black cloth over its face you know and eyes. And I thought, I wonder if I could do that with Python. Cause I knew I, I hunted alone a lot and I knew I was going to come upon a big one that was going to be pretty tough to handle. And so I practiced it with some 12 and 13 footers in the backyard with this like drawstring bag that I just had randomly hanging <laughs> in my bedroom. And it worked like a charm. I mean, I put it over its head and it just like stopped. It stopped moving. It didn't know what to do. So, you know, I'm, it's, so when I catch the 17 footer, I see her, I'm by myself. It's like midnight. She is periscoping, which means they come off the ground, you know, two or three feet in the air. And I'm not entirely sure why they do it, but you know, it's almost like they're, they're looking across the street or something, but they're not. And so you see the white belly. So I saw her. And so I pull the truck over like around her. So I didn't scare her. And, you know, I get, I get my GoPro and I get my, my bag and, you know, I did had no idea how big the snake was. And so I, I go up to her. Well, the thing is she had gone down in the meantime and it, okay. She's 17 feet. I know where she is. And it still took me a good minute to find her because oh. that's how camouflaged they are. They just, they go under the grass and you just, you can't see them. So finally I saw a little bit of her pattern through the, the grass. And then I followed it a couple of feet up to her head and I, I'd never seen a head this big in my life. <laughs> and I'm standing there. I was like, oh God. And even on my video, I, I think I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and so I'm standing there with this little bag and this huge snake. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? But I, uh, 
I, it, now or never, you can't hesitate. So I just jumped on her and I, it was, it was a battle, but of strength. It wasn't like this crazy epic, you know, wrestling match. It was, she was trying to shimmy back into the, sh into the swamp and I still had no idea how long she was. So I have my hands on the back of her neck. I'm sitting on top of her. My arms are locked out to keep her from shimmying back. I've got my, I'm using my legs to almost keep me propelled forward so she can't move. And so it was just like, who was going to wear out first? So I was really glad that I did a lot of squats because <laughs> it really came in, it really came in handy. And so, you know, I ended up getting, you know, slowly but surely getting this bag over her head. And as soon as I pulled that drawstring, she just stopped. So I was like, oh my gosh. So, so that, you know, you have to be smarter than the Python sometimes because I could not, she was 110 pounds. I'm 120. Everybody always wants to know. So I'll just tell you five, four, 120. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, but it's, it, it gets kind of tricky sometimes. Well, that's an interesting question I have is people, your family, friends, they know what you do. What are their thoughts? What, what are their, what do they have to say about it? Cause it might, <laughs> you might have come to interesting conversations with family members. Yes. Yes. So every, my family members and my close friends, you know, the people I grew up with and went to school with and all of that, they knew about, you know, my crazy passion for snakes and, you know, half my roommates had some of my snakes that I was, that I bred. And so for them, when I said, Hey, I'm going to quit everything and go to move to Florida to become a Python hunter. They were kind of like, Oh, well, I mean, that makes sense. I get it that you would be doing that, but Oh my God, are you seriously going to do that? Like drop your career and drop everything and just like move and not even know if you can get a job. I was like, yeah, that's, that's how it's going to go down. So they, they thought I was crazy, but it made sense in their heads that I would be doing it. <laughs> That's an interesting comes. Hey, Ma, hey, Dad, I'm leaving so and so's land. And bye, friends. I'm going to go catch some snakes. Oh, my God. Stuff. It was crazy. Well, it, two months. So, in less than two months from the time that I got back from that vacation to check it out till the time I actually moved down here. That's, I mean, so it was quick. I made that decision. I was like, I got to go. I got to go. How profitable is it for you, though? Yeah. So nobody's getting rich catching snakes. <laughs> <laughs> they do not pay like houses, let me tell you. Right. But, you know, and so, and it's a tough, it's, it's a tough job because of the hours in the summer. And in the winter, it's a day hunt, but they're very few and far between. They're just very difficult to find. So, you know, part of the reason that I skin and do the products is so I can supplement. So I don't have to get you know, another job. I can, I can do this full time, but it's also because, you know, I, I love the snakes and I don't want to see them go to waste. So I want to use as much of the snake as possible. What can you, besides skinning them and making products of it, can you eat snakes? You can, I don't really recommend it. So I, I took a Python up to a chef in Fort Myers just to see, you know, what we could do with it. And he made four very, very good dishes, but it was so chewy. I'm telling you, I am chewing and chewing and I'm bored. So I like literally spit it out because it was, I was over it. And so it's just, it's very tough because the thing is they're a constrictor. They're all muscle. You know, they're not mm -hmm. venomous like a, a rattlesnake. So people say, well, rattlesnake is good and that's fine, but they don't have to be as muscular as these pythons do. And plus there's mercury apparently in them. And so, you know, it's, it's probably never going to be legal to sell them for food. I was curious because you don't want to go into waste and stuff like that. Maybe you could um, find things do find things you can do with the stuff from the K 
capture of the snake and stuff once you euthanize them. You said you make products and stuff too. What, what kind of products do you make? I do. Well, I make Apple watch bands. Nice. Yeah. And I make bracelets. And I'm actually, I just talked to my guy today. We're in the process of getting about six or seven other products online and in production. So that's exciting. It's, it takes a lot. You know, I didn't realize when I said, sure, I can, I can tan these. You know, I had no idea what I was getting into. And I kind of explain it like I took a bite that a Tyrannosaurus Rex would choke on. <laughs> no, and I had no idea. And I'm very, very glad I did it. But I didn't know. The thing is, we're pioneering this. There's only a, a handful of us that even skin and have them done, have them professionally tanned. There are only three tanneries in the United States that tan python because it's illegal to import them from Asia. So they just haven't done it for years. And so these are alligator tanners, basically, that are doing us a favor, kind of. So and then the, the, the people who, who make the products, you know, they're not used to working with this type of, of the snake skin. So it's just the, the obstacles and the things that, that I've had to deal with in this. I mean, it's been a great experience and it, you know, continues, but I never thought I had no idea how difficult it would be. Well, interesting. You said it took a big bite, like a Tyrannosaurus Rex or something like that. Mm -hmm. What did you mean by that? Because I'm kind of curious. I mean, I just like when I bit off way more than I could chew. Is that a bad thing? No, I, I'm kind of glad that I did it blindly because I probably would have been a little more intimidated if I knew what I was getting into. So it was kind of a good thing. It's kind of like moving down here. I just kind of like went for it and I knew, and like, I knew I'd figure it out. And so with this, I, I mean, I am figuring it out and I'm getting better and better at it. It's just, I didn't realize, I mean, my stories go on and on forever about like just this stuff and skinning. Oh my gosh. I didn't know I was going to have to skin. I thought, you know, Hey, <laughs> somebody else will skin. Oh, I found out very quickly. So now my, on my lanai of my snowbird condo, mm -hmm. my table that I bought when I moved here that I loved is now my skinning table. Never thought that <laughs> would happen, but you know, and I hang, I hang the skins in my guest bath to dry and you know, all kinds of stuff. I've got snake everywhere in my condo is it a garden style condo or like a townhouse condo it's like it's it's a i just i'm on the first floor it's but it's so not a townhouse it's not two-story it's, oh, it's like almost like a apartment kind of apartment kind of condo yeah yeah so what does what does your neighbors think about all the, the snakes skins hanging around and stuff <laughs> well i was really nervous because you know i don't want to get kicked out of here <laughs> and you know i've got mostly snowbirds that are down here and you know they can get kind of feisty sometimes. I tried to hide it as long as I could until I couldn't. And then I'm telling you, they were like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they love it. Every time I catch a python, they want, they want to come over and see it. You know, when I'm skinning, they want to come over and see me skin. You know, they want, they buy my products. They're like my biggest fans. And it's really, really cool. Maybe kind of funny. You walk in at four o'clock in the morning. Good morning, Mrs. Jones. Walking past with a big snake. <laughs> I know, I know. It's seriously, it's true. So I have to tell you, the first time I I ever skinned a python, I had this python from my. It was like an eleven foot python, and it was super fat. And I had to do it at night on my lanai because I didn't want people to see. And I also had to time it with the trash because you know I don't want to snake stink in that the dumpster up. And so I had this friend, he was going to come over and he was going to help me with this thing. So I've got it already. And I call 
call him like, Hey, where are you? And he's like, Oh yeah, I can't come over. <laughs> like, dude, oh my, what am I supposed to do? And so I had to YouTube how to skin a python well there at the time there weren't any videos on that it was just water snakes and rattlesnakes and let me tell you not the same no <laughs> not the same at all and so i'm out there i mean it took me two and a half hours and i'm cussing and i'm sweating to death and it looks like a scene from dexter there's blood everywhere <laughs> you know i have like five knives and two cutting boards and oh my god and at the end of it I mean, I have this skin and there are butcher cuts in it. You know, I didn't even know what a butcher cut was before. I didn't know anything. And I'm, I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst. And then to make it even, even better. So I go to my dumpster, this thing is like 50 pounds. So I can't even like hold the dumpster thing over and like, <laughs> so I have to climb up on the recycling bins and like do this whole thing. So it was this process and I thought, oh my God, it has got to be easier than this. So I, I did find a guy up in. Ocala. He, I took 12 snakes up to him and he taught me how to do it the proper way. So I'm very, very good at it now, but oh man, it's been a learning curve. What do they do with the waste? What are you just throwing in the dumpster? Well, you know, I was taking it up to a guy who was using the bones for educational purposes, which I love. Like if I can, as much of the snake as possible is great. But the thing is, it's, not a lot of people can do that. And, you know, you catch so many, you can, I mean, I've caught over 350, you know, that's a lot of pythons and that's just me. That's not even including some of the pipe, the carcasses that I buy from my friends that are hunters to use their skins. But, you know, I've tried putting them in crab pots, crabs don't eat them and it turns to slime. Alligators don't really like it. My friends actually put the carcasses in their, uh, back in their woods with the fish and like the other carcasses that they have, you know, from, the things that they eat, nothing touches the pythons. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I wish there was something more we could do with it, with the bodies, but there, there's not a lot. What I was thinking about when I'm listening to you talk about the pythons and the snakes and all the things you do and stuff is, is going for your dreams, going for something and, and going full force into it and, and taking that leap of faith and see where you land. Yep. Yep. And here, here's the way that I, I looked at it. You know, I just had this feeling inside. I was like, this is it. This is what I was meant to do. I wasn't even looking. I was perfectly happy. I was a great realtor. I had a great business going, not even looking to change. And then it was just like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is it. I don't know how I'm going to do this. This does not make any sense on paper, <laughs> like not none at all, but this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I just, I trusted myself to figure it out. And, you know, I just sat there and one time I thought, okay, what is the worst that can happen? So I moved to Florida and this doesn't work. So I either get my real estate license down here. I am a bartender for a while or, you know, a server or something. I, worst case, I go back to Indiana, tail between my legs a little bit, but you know, it's still an option and you know, it didn't work out, whatever. That's not a bad deal. You know, so if it doesn't work, that's, that's okay because I, I did it. You know, I went for it and I would spend the rest of my life really hating myself if I didn't. So live life with no, no regret. Do Absolutely. It. Jump, Absolutely. take a leap, take a leap of faith. And do do it. it. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> and people are scared. I tell you what, they're, people are a lot more resilient than they, than they think they are. They just have to just do it. Well, sometimes they don't realize it. I mean, they're always like, exactly. oh, planning, planning this, I'm going to do this, this. I'll watch a hundred YouTube videos and never take, take on their dream. And it's stuff true. like that. I will tell you this, that when I moved 
down here. So I just, I rented a room from somebody online because I didn't want to sign a lease. I didn't, you know, want to bring all my stuff down yet. My fiance was still in Indiana. So he wasn't quite ready to, you know, he still had a business, so he wasn't ready to move down. So I rent this room. I, I don't even know that it sounds so bizarre now that I talk about it. I'm four hours from his house in my car with my stuff. And he calls me and says, Hey, the room that you are going to rent isn't available. The guy's going to stay there for six more months. I'm like, dude, I am literally four hours from your house. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? And he said, well, I mean, I have a, an extra bedroom upstairs, but you'd have to share a bathroom with my dad. It's oh. like, oh my gosh, are you serious right now? So, but I didn't have a choice and it turned out it was great. The, these people were awesome. He had five bathrooms. So I ended up having my own bathroom anyway, but you know, it, but still, I think there was this like one moment this entire time. And right after that phone call and I, I'm cause Dave's driving and I'm looking out the window and it was like, you know, a bunch of cows or something in Florida and I'm looking there and I had this like two seconds of panic. Like, oh my God, what the hell did I just do? Oh my God, what did I just do? I just gave up my whole life. My whole life is, is done. I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't even know how to catch a python in Florida, you know, but in all of these thoughts, it took two seconds and then they were gone. And that is the only time I had like a mini like moment of panic. It's interesting. You, you do a really fascinating thing and, and uh, I couldn't do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you're, a, you're normal. You're normal. Most people can't do this. I a, <laughs> Most people uh, don't want to. On my kitchen window, there's a little spider. With it, I think there's two spider nests there. And I'm contemplating trying to get rid of it before the spiders go wee anywhere. And I feel bad. And I keep looking at the window. And she's looking. I know she's looking back at me going, I can't do it. I can't go <laughs> flick. So catching a, catching a snake, it's, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if I can do it. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Nope. I get it. I get it. And it is hard. I mean, these are, the, they're beautiful animals. They're amazing. I mean, you see like just even anything, any of them, even the, the babies are all hatching right now and they're so cute. They're so tiny. And it's so sad because it's not their fault that they're here, you know, at all. And they're just being snakes. They're just surviving. They're doing what they do, you know, and it's, it's terrible that we have to do this, but there really is no other choice. Final thoughts. Anything you want to leave about maybe you doing what you want to do and don't live with fear or anything about snakes and, and also where they can connect with you. Yeah, sure. Pythonhuntress.com is my website. And on Instagram, I am pythonhuntressamy. So I post a lot of my adventures on there. Well, all my adventures on there, by <laughs> the videos and also on the website, that's where you can buy products. Like I said, I'm coming out with some new products here in a few weeks also. So, so yeah, so follow me and go on my adventures and I love to hear from, from fans. So, you know, give me a shout out. Well, Amy, thank you much for being on the podcast. And I really do appreciate it. It was a fun conversation about snakes and stuff like that. And <laughs> it's not the only thing I talk about, but it was pretty cool. Thank you for your time. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. Well, wrapping up this episode, I want to thank Amy Seaweed for being a guest on the podcast. You can find more about her over at pythonhuntress.com. All links to be in the show notes for this episode. You can find it over at nosittingonthesideline.com slash 127. Hey, please reach out. If you have a comment or have a question or just want to say hello, because, you know, I haven't been around much, but I'd like to hear what you have to say. You can find all my contact information at nosittingonthesideline.com slash contact. Hey, this episode is more than just catching pythons. 
It's taking a chance on something that you really want to do and leaving something comfortable and just leap into the unknown. It can be scary, yeah. It can be definitely scary. But the best of times in our lives are when we leap and we land on the other side. Well, thank you for listening. Until next time, take care. Give your kids a hug. Tell them much you love them. Because, you know, actually, you know what you do? Tell them you love them, too. But reach out to a friend to see how they're doing. Until next time, take care. God bless.